In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous anybody can have grit. You can be the wimpiest guy in the world and be the grittiest guy in the world at the same time. You don't have to be a guy who's big and strong and tough and mean and scary looking. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with our producer and co-host, my friend, Dale Culver. How you doing, man? I'm doing really good. Hey, man, you know, this is going to be a totally different type of uh, podcast. It's going to be you and I talking about something that I think you and I both possess. And I uh, mean that as a compliment. And uh, But before we get into that thing that we're going to talk about, do you have a man word for me today? I was thinking of a man law. Oh, today. you're gonna do a man law. Okay, yeah. what is okay, give it to me. All right. So my man law is this. If you're a dad and you have sons, we came up with this this morning. We were talking about it on our small group, and you need to do something for your your sons uh to help them step into manhood. Some sort of rite of passage. Um and I, I've been a part of this with Jim on, and with his boys, and I remember um thinking man if only i had a son <laughs> yeah, yeah i would do this too well now i have a son yes and uh he is six years old and i'm thinking man i do not want to be caught uh later in life going man i should have done something to show him what it looks like to step into manhood and so yeah. i would encourage our guys to um, buy the book raising a modern day night by robert lewis and uh going through that and coming up with something just something. And, and when we were talking this morning with my guys, uh, and we were throwing ideas around, I said, here's the thing. Do something. Because yeah. you don't want them later on like, yeah, my dad never did this with me. Uh, and so now that I'm older, I don't even know what it looks like, but I got to figure it out. Do something. Yeah, Robert Lewis's book is outstanding. That should be in the library of every man who's serious about manhood. You know, it's pretty cool. Uh, I was inspired uh, by one of our podcasts. And that's a Robert Lewis was on our podcast recently. I don't remember what number, but it was uh, two episodes ago. So, guys, you really need... If you want to see where Jim Ramos got his DNA for men, uh, the interview with Robert Lewis will give you a hint at that. So uh, my son Colton came over. He's uh, 22 years old, 
And he came over yesterday. Hey, Dad, I love working on cars. Can I change your oil, change your plugs? And he cleaned the engine. It was it was glorious mm. just to have a son who volunteers to do that. But wow. but I said, hey, son, I'm asking you a question because we're doing a man trip this weekend. Uh, me and the boys, we're going to go uh, on Memorial Weekend. We're going to shoot rats, which are small squirrels. But in Eastern Oregon, they call them rats. We're going to shoot rats. We're going to camp, and we're going to hunt turkeys, possibly, and fish. It's going to be a real good time. But And, and my youngest son can't come. So I'm asking the boys this question. Boys, I call them boys because they're my boys, but sons, they're, they're men. They're 22, 24, and 26. I'm going to ask them this question. What could I have done as a dad to help you love Jesus and walk with him more? And and what can I do now, mm-hmm. right? And so Colton uh, just got offered. I haven't told you this. So Colton just got offered a job with Young Life. That's so cool. He's praying about that. So that's kind of cool because he got, you know, that's kind of honors me. I'm really excited about that. So, so he said, and he said, you know, so he said, Dad, you're a great dad. I got nothing to add. And I go, you think about it and you get back to me. But the thing about him that really impresses me is he's been a, he'll be a four year starter for Linfield College as a punter. And last May, we had a Memorial Day. It was last, it was a year ago, last May, we had a Memorial Day barbecue. And he goes, Dad, uh, I got to tell you something. I said, what? He goes, thanks for, thanks for making us tough. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, he goes, all of our friends are so soft, but you made us get jobs. You made us, you told us if you weren't playing a sport, you had to, you had to work, you know, you made us pay for our cars and our license, our, our, you know, insurance and our gas. Thanks for doing that. Cause our friends are so soft and weak. And I thought that was a huge compliment because I have pushed my kids. I've, I've, uh, you know, uh, in the book, play the man, Batterson talks about this with his kids. He raised kids that would have a soft heart and a tough skin. And that's what we're hoping with our boys. I want I want my sons to have a tough tough skin, and a soft heart. And we just live in a day and age with, when men are weak. And there, uh, Stu Weber in uh, several of his books said we live in the area of the soft male. And I think I would change that verbatim to weak male, because mm-hmm. I think if you're soft, you're weak. In sports, if you're soft, you're weak. You're weak and soft. Those two go together. So when we say the word soft, we think of fat or, you know what I mean? We think of some of you push them and, ooh, you're, you know, Pillsbury, dear boy. But I don't think that's the case. I know, guys, I don't think how you look makes you a man of uh, strength, right? I think it, I think it helps you if you're fit and have a healthy body, but I don't think it makes a man strong or weak. I think men, we've talked about this before, men come in all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. They come in all colors. They come in all ages. They come from all different locations, and men come from different religions. When I say that, what do you think, Dale? When I, does anything tweak in you when I say that? We're on a Christian podcast, and I tell you that you can be of many religions and be a man. Yeah, I mean, I, I see uh, the household, the way it's set up in the, the Muslim faith, and how the father is the leader and, and all that stuff, and he, he could be a, a, a man. Well, we had David Moreau on our podcast way, way back, who wrote the book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, and he said something that I've never forgotten. He said, in the in the Islamic faith, which I am not a fan of Islam at all, uh, I don't want to get into my eschatology, but I, I'm not a fan, but in with Islam, the more religious you are, the more of a man you, are appear, mm-hmm. you appear to be to the community. In Christianity... The, sadly, the the more religious you are, the less of a man you appear to be, and that's a that's a real problem to me. And so, we need to we need to raise up strong men, men of grit, 
You know, and that's why, Dale, you know, I wrote the book, The Man Card, a couple years ago, and we didn't put a lot of energy or effort. We just really wanted to get this book written. But the more I thought about the book, the more I realized I needed to change the name and I need to go into the book. And it's a wonderful book. I mean, it's a wonderful, brilliant <laughs> book. But I, the, I thought the title didn't, didn't meet a need that men were really after. And what men really need today is they need to understand, how can I be strong? Mm-hmm. You know, 40% of kids are born out of wedlock. You know, these kids are growing up, and they're, I just saw a movie the other, uh, the other night with my family called ACOD, ACOD, Adult Children of Divorce. Mm. And I thought, how funny. So we have this thing called ACODs now. And I thought, there are a lot of ACODs out there who didn't have a dad in the home. 50% of children uh, today from divorce will not see their dad for an entire year. And these kids without a man in their home, uh, are, are they become weak and soft. And we, needed a, we need a book to help these guys be strong. So we, I mean, I'm really excited about this book. I want you to tell me your impressions of what, where we're after here, but we rewrote a book. We wrote the man card. We titled it Strong Men, Dangerous Times. Five essentials every man must have to change his world. We we redesigned the cover. What are, what are your thoughts about the book so far? Well, I, I really love the title. Uh, or the cover page, and it's five essentials every man must possess to change his world. I don't know the title of mine, but I've, <laughs> I've wet wrestled with a hundred titles before I landed on one. So, but it, it looks like it's really cool. Um, uh, and I've read it. I read the book and its original format on a flight to Chicago. Yeah, and uh, it was like it was awesome. I, I really loved and it. And I've actually re- I'm going through the book right now, and I'm rewriting it. Just little tweaks here and there, mm-hmm. and so what it was a forty-eight thousand pa- word book is now fifty thousand plus words. Whoa. So I've added some key things. I'm very, very excited about this book. But here's the bottom line, man. When I think of strength versus weakness, I think of endurance, perseverance, and grit. You know, uh, I we did a podcast uh, that we just released a, a week ago or two dealing with grit. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't want to let that go. I went and watched the 1969 version of True Grit with John Wayne, which I really, really liked. But then I got caught up in, I, I went and rented the, the Cowboys. Do you remember that movie? No. It's a John Wayne movie where he's, a, he's, he's going on a cattle drive, 450-mile cattle drive. All the men who are in the area leave to go to the gold, a gold rush. So he goes and hires a bunch of school kids, like 8 to 15. Oh, and and man. it's funny when he go he goes into the classroom and recruits these kids out of the literally out of the classroom. He tells the teacher who's a female and all the girls, you guys leave. This is for men. So it's just him and these guys. And he he recruits them and then he comes back after doing a, a real fun interview process that involved, you know, breaking a, a bronco. He comes back to the classroom and he hires these kids, and they are every one of them 100 so excited. And he says, Boys. You better grit your teeth because it's time to become a man. And I thought, grit your teeth. When you think of true grit, I didn't think of that. You know, gritting your teeth. And so uh, we need men to become tougher. And here's the thing about grit the Bible calls it endurance. It's not a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 23 love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithful, self control. It's not a spiritual gift, so if you look at Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, it's not there. But the one thing that we know about grit is it is a virtue that Jesus possessed, that led him to the cross, that he suffered on the cross. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 that he himself bore his sins on on his body, 
that we would come to Christ. So so he he bore our sins on the cross. He carried that heavy burden. He had grit. When you think of grit, Dale, what do you think of? Uh, I think when you're tired and you're done uh, for the day, you're you're not. Most of the time, you're probably not done. And there's more to be done. And I was just thinking about that as you were talking the, the other day. Uh, we were going to pick up uh, my youngest daughter's friend, who is a guy. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, he does is, hey, I'll come over and do some yard work for you. You know, so then he can come hang out. So I got this landscaper. But, and I was tired and all that. But at the end of the day, I said, you know what? As they went to go pick him up, I went and mowed my lawn instead of having him do it so that when he got there, we could sit down as a family and just rest and be with each other. I mean, really, I was checked out. I was done, game over. And they came back, why'd you mow the lawn for? And I said, because I just wanted to spend time with the family. Mm. Grit says, I'm going to get up and do the tough things so you can engage with your family like you need to. That's a great point. Grit gets up and does the tough things. And I think this is what, how do you see that statement hinder men in our culture today? How how does grit and tough things, how would you put that up against comfort Oh yeah, and the desire of ease in our society. Man, it would be you could be so much easier just to grab the remote, kick back, crack open a beer, watch TV. Um, the young man comes in the door. Hey, you know where the lawnmower is? Uh, let him go out and mow. Hire the lawn. a landscaper. Hire a landscaper. Right. I had a, I had a guy, a, an ex pro athlete, tell me at sixty years old, I just hired a landscaper. It's too hard. You should do that too. I'm like, I, I actually have a manual edger, bro. I, I that thing sucks. Really? I do the little reels. Uh-huh. If it breaks, I got another one, dude. For you. And the the freaking the the poles all bent, the wood pole on it. But I'm like, my wife's like, why are you doing that? I go, because I need to do something to be tough, right? I mean, I need to do something physical. The yard work is one of those ways I do yeah. that. And, and I think the key thing here is, and you said it, do things that are hard. Yeah. And, and one, of, you know, I'm training right now for this Cloud Peak climb. So I I attempted it not knowing what it was about, failed uh, last August. So I'm going back in August. I've got a friend, Alan Schwartz, who I've talked about on the podcast, and and he's uh, I've talked about him in my COVID-19 videos that you can find on our website. If you go to Enlist, scroll down to COVID-19. And, uh, and he said, hey, you got to have grit to endure. Mm-hmm. And he's got me on this training program. I did a hike yet Monday. Today, or yesterday, I did a 10-mile bike ride as a warm-up for today, today's going to suck. It's called a fitness <laughs> test. So every three-week block starts with a fitness test. I've got to climb High Heaven Road, which you know that road. Yeah. And I call it Holy Hell because when you're on there, you're not thinking about heaven. Mm-hmm. And it's 20-minute sprint up this mountain. Last time I did it, I was in the red zone of my heart rate, 90% or above, for 19 minutes. Mm. It's brutal. And I'm not. I'm trying to get out of it. Do you have somebody Honestly. following you? No, I just have to do it alone. I should follow you. You grind it. You, you just grind it. And so... I, guys, I am telling you, I am telling you, you have to build grit into your lives. So, Dale, talk to me about, so you and I uh, are both married. You and I have both been married to uh, one woman. I was going to say the same woman, but we're not married to the same woman. Both very easy marriages. We're both married married uh, one time. You're mar- you married your high school sweetheart. I met married a woman I met right out of college. Mm-hmm. I have been married. I've been with Shanna oh, 30 years. Our 28th anniversary will be this August. You have been with Heather how long? We're going on 20. How long have you been together? Bro, you started dating her when you are like 12, right? She was like 12 <laughs> and you're like 16. <laughs> 
96 is when we got married. Okay. So you've been June together. of 96. Our anniversary's coming up. So you got married in 96. So what What anniversary is that? 20? Yeah. But you've been together how long? 25? Oh, so four, six, five years before that. Okay. So 25 years. So yeah. we've got a lot of history with our, with our women, right? So... When I do a wedding ceremony, I read 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, this is on my latest blog. So if you guys want to read about this, the the blog is called Becoming a Better Lover. And I I write and I tell guys how to be a better lover. And I sent that to our assistant, Sammy, who's a female. She goes, this was awesome. (laughs) So it's not what you expect it to be, guys, but you need to read that. Uh, You can subscribe to our Equipping Blast if you just go to our website and pick up a free copy of my electronic book. Bathroom book for men. So, www.manarena.org. Anyway, back to the story. So when I, so when I do a wedding, Dale, I read the love chapter, First Corinthians thirteen. I do that fairly regular, and we talk about falling in love. What's the fallacy when falling in love and living happily ever after, based on what you've seen from loving one woman for quarter century? How what would you say to that Hollywood version of love, living happily ever after? Yeah, uh, well, we've had a lot of teenagers watch Heather and I, and the advice that we've given them is like, and what they've their takeaway is, thanks for being real, because this isn't easy. Um, being married is not easy; it's work. And like you say all the time, you don't you don't uh, fall out of love; you rise into love. Absolutely right. So, uh, yeah, you rise into love, and you know you know the elevating factor in that is grit. Mm-hmm. It's grit. It's work. Shannon and I, we laugh because when I married her, I, I married an angel, bro. Gosh, she's so sweet and beautiful. Dude, I woke up with Satan. I mean, my marriage I, instantly was a disaster. I mean, she wouldn't let me use the ba- shower, t- the towels that we got for our wedding. They were for decoration. I couldn't use the pillows we got on the bed. I had a bed, man. I slept in a sleeping bag for four years of college and two years being single. I had two sleeping bags I zipped together. You never have to make the bed. It's beautiful. It's glorious. Marry this beautiful, sweet little woman who makes the bed of the duvet cover. I don't even know what that is, bro. Multiple pillows. I couldn't sleep with a cover. We had to pull the cover off the bed, and we had to pull the pillows off because they were decorative. She didn't know how to cook. I thought, what? I had to work for set. I mean, it was a bad deal. And so she tells people that she married her dream guy and woke up in a nightmare. We had a rough, rough run. I remember calling my mom at one point saying, I made a huge mistake with this girl. I I made a huge mistake. (laughs) And I remember one day after pounding the steering wheel, she made me so angry. I I remember she walked into our little little apartment, and I'm pounding the steering wheel just crying out to God. and And I realized, wow, I either need to live my entire life in a horrible marriage or make this this one mistake better. <laughs> and I, I and that was it for me. Divorce was never on the table. And when we marry couples, I, if they if divorce is even an option, if they, I even get a hint it's an option, I just won't do the wedding. Period. I won't do the wedding because if couples don't have grit, they won't make it. And here's what I have found, bro, and my wife would argue the same. She would argue the same. She would tell you, and I'm going to tell you this, you tell me what you think. Love will not make a marriage last. What is your thought on that statement? Oh, no, because uh, <laughs> I used to tell teenagers this all the time. I love you, and I'm working on liking you. Um, so there are times that you are not going to feel feel the love for that person. You're going to be angry. <laughs> you might hate them. They might hate you. Uh, but that's, that is a feeling. Now it's time to like stick it out and work on it and... Uh, <laughs> 
ignore that. Those are emotions. Yeah, it's though. I'll tell you what. Grit is defined as the stubborn refusal to quit. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. And Shanna will tell you if you were to ask. We have a great marriage, by the way. I mean, we're really. I mean. I feel like people are jealous of our marriage. We have a wonderful marriage. We are best friends. Now, we still fight like cats and dogs. We still do our thing. But we have a great, great marriage. And we're open about our struggles because it is hard. Marriage is tough. But, you know, um, I'm reminded of Dutch Meyer, the late football coach for Texas Christian University, TCU. He made this statement. It's now in their locker room. And it said, we'll fight until hell freezes over. And then we'll fight on the ice. Mm. And that's how I feel about marriage. And honestly, we also need to feel about that about that way about our kids. Because our kids will disappoint us. Our kids will do stupid stuff. You know, when James came home and said, "Hey, I just found out through a paternity test I'm the father of a 9-month-old girl." I told him, "Bro, you need to get out of the house right now. I can't talk to you." I was so so pissed. I I'm like, "Dude, I'm I'm a men's ministry leader." I'm a I'm a Christian guy. I mean, how dare you? You know what I mean? It was a gal he had met at a party, and there's so many things wrong with that statement. He was a 23 year old kid at the time, guy at the time, but I was so angry. And uh, I I thought about this. I thought, and I came back with two statements. I said, "Listen, we will leave no Ramos behind." Mm-hmm. And that little girl's a Ramos. Mm-hmm. And so we haven't. We ha- we are with her every other week. She comes over. We're very 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 close to her. And I told James, man, we're we're you're our son, man. We're in this for you. We're in this with yeah. you. We're partnering with you. So our kids will disappoint us. Love is a war. And any any war movie you see, and when you're saying this, I was thinking of this. Any war movie you watch, you watch when your fellow guy gets shot and he's on the ground. What do they do? He's out in the open and he got shot. No man left behind. They jump in there with bullets whizzing by and they grab their buddy and they pull him out. Yeah. I mean, who does that? Well, I'm thinking of the great theologian, Pat Benatar, <laughs> who said, love is a battlefield. Yeah. Love is a battlefield. Yeah. Well, Angela Duckworth wrote a book that I have not read, and I really need to. I read, gosh, I'm reading 40 to 50 books a year. You'd think I'd read this book. Uh, but it's called Grit, the Power of Passion and Perseverance. So in this book, uh, so she studied uh, what she did in this. She had a study. And she studied postgraduate academic degrees from high-achieving adults. She studied the grade point average among Ivy League undergrads. And she studied the dropout rates of West Point cadets. And she studied, of all things, National Spelling Bee participants. Mm -hmm. Uh, She discovered this from her studies. She She concluded this, that grit is a better predictor of success than raw talent, or IQ, because grit serves as the overriding factor, the overriding factor that provides the stamina required to stay the course amid challenges and setbacks. And the problem with the society we live in today, bro, is we are an intellectual, an intellectually driven society. Think about ministry. A pastor does not have to be tough to be a pastor. He has to be tough to make it as a pastor. Mm-hmm. All he has to be to become a pastor is to have a good interview and a piece of paper. But to make it as a pastor, he's got to have grit. Mm-hmm. I have been in the church since 22 years old, and I am 54 years old. So I've been in the church now 30, 
two years. Is that right? Yeah. And in 32 years, not one pastor I've had, not one senior pastor is in, has did, retired from ministry as a pastor. Every one of them either had moral failures, I'm thinking of four right now, they had moral failures or they got burnt out and left for a, or they decided, decided the pain in the butt of ministry was not worth a paycheck and they left and, and made their money in the secular workforce. But what I'm saying is, but these guys, when they left and when, the, when they stepped away, I don't believe they were called. I know that sounds harsh. Mm. I believe that circumstances led them away. And so what I'm saying is grit hangs and stays with it through the bad times. When I think of my commitment to Shanna, I mean, man, if it wasn't for grit, her and I having grit, if only one partner has grit, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. But because of the grit, we've been able to take a horrible marriage, a disastrous marriage, a marriage that people were betting against, and turn it into a glorious, beautiful marriage of two best friends. And so I would say, I would say what you said earlier, I would repeat, Number one, do the hard things. Do the hard things. Number two, stick with your commitments when things go wrong. Stick with them. And I would add one more thing, and I want you to talk to this. I want you to talk me through this point for your own life. Do things in your personal life that you don't want to do and challenge you greatly. What are your thoughts on that statement? Yeah, I think... uh... Like my own personal time of reading my Bible is so important, and also um, taking some time just to be quiet and listening and praying um, are super important so that you can recenter yourself and then come back to your family and be a better person. You know, that's really good, man. Um, as I read about great leaders, and as I talk to great leaders, one of the underlying currents that they don't talk a lot about, you have to pull it out of them, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, all of these guys take blocks of time every day to think. Now, when I come and pray in the mornings, I spend most of my time going through the Lord's Prayer, but I do it silently, and I spend probably two-thirds of my time listening and uh, you, you're the recipient of this, and you, whenever I bring a yellow notepad <laughs> in, you start cringing. Oh, but no. I bring a yellow notepad everywhere I pray, mm-hmm. and I carry one everywhere I go, whether it's on my phone or in my office, and I will fill that with ideas that God gives through meditation and prayer and silence. And I think that it is so important for, for a guy or a gal, doesn't matter, to spend time in silence and solitude on a very regular basis, like daily basis, allowing things to settle. And so uh, in the real world, I think for a lot of these guys, it's going home after work and just, and I've said this a lot in marriage counseling stuff, when your husband gets home, let him go into his room or his garage or whatever he's got to do, give him 20 minutes, you guys have this understanding, to regroup and refocus because he's going from, and this is what women I think don't understand, he's going from his work compartment to his husband-father compartment, grandfather compartment. He's going from one compartment to the next compartment. And women flow, ebb and flow through these compartments. It's glorious. Mark Gunger uh, and and um, 
Bill and Pam Farrell, who wrote a book, Men Are Like Spaghetti, or Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti, Gunger in his material, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, both talk about men are compartmentalized. And so because we're compartmentalized, we don't just transition and jump from compartment to compartment easily. We need a transition period. In basketball, the transition game's everything. So speak to this. The guy that works at home full-time and has kids there, especially right now, COVID-19, you're at home, you're working out of the home, you got kids in the home. So in like my situation, my wife works out of the home, and she walks in, and I'm like, leave mom alone for a couple minutes. Um, but yeah, I, for me, it's like the whole day is like I'm ready to almost explode out of my head because there's so much going on, and you're trying to juggle it all. You know, you're trying to teach school, you're doing work, and you got the new puppy, and you don't want it peeing and chewing up everything, you know, all those things. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I have, an, I have an easy answer that people aren't going to like. Yeah, go for it. I mean, I'm thinking of Sammy Farmer right now. We have this wonderful executive assistant. Uh, she's amazing. She's brand new, but she's got two kids in the home. She's pregnant. She's got a husband now who's working at the home. Yeah. And then she's trying to do her job, and she's she's struggling with that, right? And you, your office is in your garage. You come here to my office. We do our podcast, but your office is in your garage, and so you're you're you've got Noah home, and he's four. Is he five? Six. Yet? Is he six? Yeah, he'll be seven he's, next month. No, no, really. Yeah, for cereals. Well, where'd you hide him for the last four years? <laughs> uh, wow, he's that old already. Yeah, wow. he's old. Anyway, my bad. I, I apologize. Anyway, <laughs> so but you've got kids running around. You've got Hayden is still in the house. So here's what I would tell people who are in the bubble during COVID nineteen that you have to leverage. One hour a day for yourself. Mm-hmm. I know you're allergic to working out. I don't know why you are, but you are. I would say get off your booty and go for a walk around the block. We do get, that at night. You No, no, not we. Not we. You. You need to. Sammy, she's a great runner. Go run. Get away from the kid. Or put your kid in the stroller and run because they're, you know, it's just like you're alone. You know, make sure that you are alone and you have time to trans. You have time that you set that time. Maybe you and Heather work out a deal where you say, hey, when you come home, I'm going to give you a half an hour, because she does have a 15-minute commute home. I'm going to give you a half an hour to settle, and then I need to get away, and we need to have that transition. Because there's a reason in the Bible when God made the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. God did not get tired. He's God, right? <laughs> so why did God rest? Why did God rest on the seventh day? After he got done watching football, I mean, what, what did he do? He didn't need the rest. Well, he wants us to rest. Do you know, Dale, the, do you know that in, in, in our country there is a small region within our country where people live longer than any other people in the world, almost any other people in the world? Japan has another region. There's a couple pockets around the globe. There's a pocket. You might know this with your background. There is a pocket that has more centurions oh. than any other place in the country. Do you know where it is? The headquarters of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? It's basically a retirement area for the Seventh-day Adventist in Loma Linda, California. Mm-hmm. And so these people retired, the Seventh-day Adventists, and they go down. Now, if you know anything about Seventh-day Adventists, you know two things they're passionate about besides Jesus. Sabbath rest. They're, they're passionate about the Sabbath, and they're passionate about something else. Eat what you eat. No, no meat. They're vegetarians. Yeah, they're taking a little bit of that back, but no pork. and yeah. So they stay kosher. So their diet yeah. and their rest. And so we, we talk about grit. It's hard to be a man or of grit when we're exhausted all the time. And if we're a guy in the stress bubble, we have to viciously guard our Sabbath. Part of that, too, is alcohol. Yeah. Well, alcohol, al- yeah. 
at tobacco. These things slow you down, mm-hmm. they age you, they numb you over time. Yeah. And so when we think of grit, we think we have to take the rest. And so uh, what I recommend for people is this. And this is, again, this is this is grit. You're trying to build grit into your life, but you have to... It, it sounds counterintuitive that in order to build grit and endurance, you have to rest, right? So I would say, and I, I really in America think this is doable. I honestly do. I have practiced it. I believe it's doable. Take two full days off a week. One day is to do your honeydews. So one day is a work around the house day. So it's it's not a day off. It's a work day. It's a day that you're working and doing stuff. And then one day is your Sabbath where you don't do anything. Now, for me, historically, my day off has been Saturday, and my Sunday is a church day, which I do a lot of ministry stuff, and then I'll do my honeydew stuff. And now I've actually incorporated Fridays as part of that in the afternoons as well. So I'll do like a half-day Sunday, half-day Friday, and then Saturday off. And so that I think it's doable. I mean, you're you're in the bubble again. Is it doable to rest? Oh, yeah. How how do you accomplish that? Yeah. So I Saturdays and Sundays, baby. It's awesome. Uh, those are family days for me. Yeah. So it is totally doable. I I get emails sometimes for work stuff, and I ignore it on weekends for the most part. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I I think this is this grit thing is really really important. I was going through. Um, some books I have, and I read the story of uh, Charles Lindbergh. Do you know who he is? Yes. He he flew around uh, the world. I think it was the world. I'm, I want to read this to you. Lindbergh, uh, he flew the, his plane was called the Spirit of St. Louis. So he almost ran out of runway at takeoff, but with no brakes meant no turning back. He had no brakes on the plane. <laughs> 33 hours and 30 minutes and 30 seconds later, 30, 30, 30, Lindbergh touched down in an airfield outside of Paris, becoming the first person to make a solo, non-stop, transatlantic flight. Half a dozen pilots before him had failed, buried at sea, and Lindbergh's flying resume paled in comparison to theirs. He was a male pilot with only a handful of brain, uh, barnstorming events under his belt. But what he lacked in experience, he more than made up with in t- mental toughness. We're talking about grit. He had no radio and no fuel gauge. (laughs) He also had no sleep the night before. Because of the weight limitations, Lindbergh hardly packed anything, not even a toothbrush. He only took a quart of water and five ham and chicken sandwiches, and he ate only one of those. Wow. Okay. So through the darkness of midnight, he aimed at Europe. He flew as high as 10,000 feet and as low as 10 feet, fighting thousands of miles of fog over the Atlantic Ocean. Lindbergh got the first hint that land was nearby when he saw a fishing boat uh, as morning dawned on the second day. He he closed the throttle, circled the boat, yelling, which way is Ireland? (laughs) The poor fisherman either didn't speak English or or too spooked to answer. As sun set the second time in this epic journey, the lights... uh, of Paris lit up. He circled the Eiffel Tower, then flew towards what he thought would be an empty airfield. He found an airfield all right, but it was wasn't empty. Instead, it was a huge crowd crying out and gave him a heroic welcome. So this is um, unbelievable. But what people don't realize is where where did this guy get such grit? Where did this guy at 25 years old pull this off? Well, here's a theory that Mark uh, Batterson has in his book, Play the Man. During the darkest hours of the night, 
he I bet he thinks Lindbergh was thinking about his grandpa August Lindbergh in 1859. This is you talk about grit. In 1859, Lindbergh August Lindbergh immigrated to America from Sweden and found work at a sawmill at Sock Center, Minnesota. Two years later, he fell into a whirring saw blade that tore through his upper torso. It left such a gaping hole that one eyewitness said they could see his beating heart. A half-conscious Lindbergh was carried home where he waited three days for a doctor. When the doctor finally reached Lindbergh, he amputated what was left of his arm and sewed up the hole. Now, here's the amazing thing, Dale. August Lindbergh didn't scream or cry, not even an ouch. He toughed it out, suffering in silence. So with a model like that, I think you can handle it. I remember my grandpa Ramus at 93 years old going, feel these forearms. Feel these forearms. Not bad. He goes, I'm tough. I'm so tough. My grandpa said, I'm just tough. I'm a tough Portuguese. At 93 years old, I drove to the house one time to say hi, and he was on the roof cleaning leaves out of the gutter at 93 years old. And so to have a model of toughness modeled for us, right? And I, and I, I look around, I think maybe that could be one of the greatest things that I've modeled for my kids is the toughness and the fortitude in loving their mom and sticking in ministry. You know, in 30 years of ministry, I lived in two towns, right? Uh, same with you. I mean, you've got grit. You've you've hung in there. You've been in McMinnville, except for a little two-year stretch, the, your entire life's adult life. And so I think this grit thing, we really need to think about this grit thing. Do you have any other thoughts about grit? You know what? I, I have young people that I've mentored, and some of them, they would say this about guys who haven't had grit. They're tired of seeing the guys that they looked up to blow it. So for them as well, keep your junk together. Well, here's the, here's the thing I want to say about that. You know, there's a saying out there, bro, that says, no guts, no glory. Mm-hmm. And I have seen some of the gutsiest, ballsiest guys crash. Mm-hmm. So no guts, no glory is not a true statement. It just is not a true statement. And I know we're not supposed to put people on a pedestal, but it, you you do hurt people. It's not just Here's you. a better statement. No grit, no glory. That's right. No grit, no glory. If you want to get to the finish line, if you want to fly, make that transatlantic flight, if you want to last in ministry, if you want a marriage that survives and thrives, you've got to have grit. And I don't know what to tell you. There's a word that people throw around that really bothers me, bro. It really bothers me, and it's the word abuse. Mm. Oh, I'm going to divorce her because she's abusive. Oh, really? Show me one verse in the Bible. One, just one, that even hints at abuse being a, a means of divorce. Just one. Now, I do agree that there are situations where there's actual physical, traumatic, violent abuse. Mm-hmm. Right, and in those situations that are extreme, I think separation is probably wise. But most of the time, I talk to people. I say, "Well, what happened?" I had this one woman say, "Well, he he called me a bitch." That's abuse. We need. To, we are so soft. We we have got to understand what the Bible says about marriage. And unless there is sexual immorality, there is no other excuse or reason for divorce. And and that and I'm telling you what. Hang in there. The problem with people who are married, in my opinion, is they're weak. And they're like, well, I'm not happy. Show me one verse in the Bible. The, the Bible, show me one verse 
that the Bible says that marriage will make you happy. Do you, do you know one, bro? No, it makes you holy. It, but yes, marriage is about making you holy. Mm-hmm. So maybe you should get over your big bad self, and instead of whining about how your wife treats her, commit to out loving and out serving her. I know a I know a person who's in a marriage right now that's really really struggling, and the biggest problem with that person is they they are failing to serve their spouse. Mm. And if they would just make it about them and not about themselves, make it about their spouse, not about themselves, I think they'd be better off. So this grit thing's a big deal, man. Do you have any final thoughts on grit? You got to hang in there. You made a commitment. Whatever that is, whether it's the job or your marriage or your kids, uh, you got to hang in there. You know, there's a word I learned when studying about this, and the word is disambiguation. Have you ever heard that word before? From you, yes. I had never heard it until about four months ago. Disambiguation. It's basically to take, if you take the word dis, means not. Ambiguous means unclear, and shun makes it a noun. Disambiguation is the art of making something clear. Disambiguation distinguishes between different meanings of things. It's what disambiguation makes a marriage that's has divorce on the table, it pulls it off the table. Disambiguation takes an opportunity to quit and removes it. I'm telling you, the person who is disambiguous is a person of grit. And, and I and I and I envy that. And in some areas I have it, and in others I'm weak. And I, I want to form that bridge. I want to build that bridge to be the grittiest people that ever, one of the grittiest people that ever live on this planet. And it doesn't take much nowadays because we live in a soft, even the farmers today. I, I mean, back in the day, the farmers were plowing. They'd have the, the cow or the horse and they're using the hand. Nowadays, they're in air-conditioned, they're in air-conditioned combines with a TV and radio and, and, they don't, they don't, and they have GPS. They can take a nap almost in there. And so we just live in a very soft world. And uh, it's very easy to throw in the towel, and we just need to not do that. And and the hard part about this topic, Dale, is it's not a spiritual gift. <laughs> it's not a talent or ability. It's It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's really... The beautiful thing about this is anybody can have grit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can be the wimpiest guy in the world and be the greatest guy in the world at the same time. You don't have to be a guy who's big and strong and tough and mean and scary looking. I know a lot of those guys, the big lumberjack, big tough guys. Tank. I'm like, dude, you're. I see how you bat, walk out of relationships. You're a pansy. You have no grit. Mm-hmm. So don't play the tough guy with me, you big pansy. You have no grit. And so we have to be very careful with our facade that we put out there. Mm-hmm. It just gets really frustrating. I get, I'm so frustrated with weak men who portray themselves as strong men because mm-hmm. strong men see right through it. I want to be a strong man. That's why I wrote the book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times, because we need strong men in this world. How, so let's, let's close this out, bro. And um, how can guys... The book will be out in September. Yeah. So how do guys get a hold of that? Can they pre-order that? Yeah, they actually they can if you go to minarena.org and go to resources and it's right there on the very top and you can go and pre-order that thing. So, all right, man. Well, hey, I sure appreciate uh this time today. And guys, I don't know what to tell you, man, as far as getting your boots on the ground. <laughs> honestly, the the only thing I can tell you is keep your boots on the ground. Yeah. I mean, honestly, so take the next step. I mean, take the next step. There's nothing to this grit thing. It's just grabbing your hand, 
reaching down there and grabbing tight to those boys and and being a man. (laughs) Well, you got to have people in your life, right, to help you with that. You need gritty people. Yeah. You don't need people in your life. You need people who are tough as tough guys that you want to be like them. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you just got to, you don't need a counselor. You don't need another book. Yeah. You just need to suck it up, Buttercup. Well, and I've had times where I'm like, I'm so done with this class or whatever, and I've, I'll know a certain person. This boss. This boss. I'm so done with this boss. And I'll go call somebody up or walk into their office and be like, all right, give me the talk. And they'll give me the talk, and I'll go, okay, I'm going to get back to work. <laughs> no, seriously. You know what? There is no boots on the ground this week. There's nothing I can tell a person. I mean, I guess the only boots on the ground I would do say is find a, a gritty person. Like, I read the book called Endurance. It's the ver- voyage of... Uh, the boat, the ship Endurance, and uh, 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 Ernest Shackleton's voyage to do the uh, transatlantic journey, and they got stuck in ice, and it's the most epic survival story ever. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, a book is written about him called River of Doubt, where they explored the uh, uh, river in the Amazon. And and you want to talk about gritty stories or Into Thin Air, John Krakauer's story of uh, Mount Everest, and and there are some great books out there. But the best way I've learned to to, to build the characteristic of grit is getting around people who are gritty. And having a gritty person in your life, maybe you've got a grandpa or a friend, but having that person in your life, you know what I mean? And, and that's so important. But honestly, it's grit's like love. It's a decision. Mm-hmm. You just got to decide it. So that's right. anyway, all right, well, that's great, man. Hey, guys, hey, until next time, you want to close us out, Dale? Yeah, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. Be a person of grit and be a man. Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.